Rebuilding from ruins is a difficult task, but rebuilding is even harder when you have to hold a weapon in one hand while building with the other. Thanks for tuning in to The Bible Brief. The edict has been issued, and the Jewish people are on the move. God worked in the heart of King Cyrus of Persia to not only allow the Jews to return to the land of Canaan, but also to finance the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. While God gave a preview of the future through Daniel and other prophets, the people were now experiencing what was predicted. The 70-year exile prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah was drawing to a close, and the people would be returning to the land of Canaan in waves. But what happened in the land while they were away for 70 years? Would they have to fight to retake the land again? Put yourself in their shoes. Most of the population of Jews was born in exile and had never experienced living in the land of Canaan. They had made homes and lives away from the land, and now they would go back to a home they didn't even remember. Their grandparents maybe told them about the land and about the glorious temple in Jerusalem built long ago by Solomon. Even more, while in exile, the children probably learned something about their history, about Abraham and Moses, about Joshua and the judges. They probably learned about the kings of the United Kingdom and the Davidic Covenant. They learned about the kingdom split and the two golden calves that Jeroboam had set up in the northern kingdom. They'd heard about God himself saving the city of Jerusalem from certain defeat by the Assyrians. And they knew from experience that God had exiled the nation from the land because of disobedience to the law that God had given them long ago through Moses. They probably had an idea of the history of their people. And you can imagine the parents and grandparents of the exiles encouraging their children and grandchildren to follow God in the land. They knew firsthand the consequences of disobedience to the law. But the people did not just look back at their history. They also looked forward to their future. Many of the prophets filled in more details about the coming king, the person that would be a descendant of Eve, Abraham, and David, this one who would somehow rule over an everlasting kingdom from Jerusalem the one who would save his people from their sins and usher in an era of peace and justice like the world has never known. They had heard about him, and they were looking forward to that kingdom. Maybe that kingdom would be soon. Maybe if they worked hard enough at being good, this Messiah would honor them when he came. Now remember these exiles returned because of a proclamation of the king Cyrus. It says this at the beginning of the book of Ezra. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor, in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place, with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. That was from the book of Ezra, chapter 1. Thanks to God working in the heart of the king, this proclamation not only allowed the people to return to the land, 
but also financed the construction of the new temple in Jerusalem, a temple to replace the one built by Solomon that was destroyed when Nebuchadnezzar had defeated the southern kingdom of Judah decades prior. The first wave of returning exiles to the land was led by two men, a prince and a priest. The prince was a Jew who was given rule over the province so that he could rule the area under the authority of the Persians. The priest was a Levite who was qualified to help lead the reconstruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The prince and the priest led the people on a journey that lasted a few months, going from Babylonia back to the land, on a route that probably reminded them of the journey of Abraham, that journey from Ur in Babylonia to the land of Canaan 1,500 years prior. And just like Abraham, they were people called by God from a land of fake gods and idols, going to the land that God had promised them. In some ways, this was a sort of reset for Israel. Maybe this time they would follow God. Maybe. Upon arriving in the land, the people, numbering a little over 40,000, spread out to various places of settlement. But a core group of them began to work on the temple. They would restore God's house as a priority over almost everything else. The primary leader of this endeavor was the priest who had helped lead the exiles back to the land, and his name was Zerubbabel. He became governor of the area under the authority of the Persians and was able to accomplish two primary things at first. 1. He led the construction of the altar on which sacrifices would be made to God. This altar allowed the sacrificial system of worship to begin again for the nation, and they were able to celebrate a feast commanded in the law that God had given the nation. 2. He led construction of the temple foundation for the second temple of Jerusalem the one that would replace the destroyed Temple of Solomon, the central place of worship in Israel. After these two successes, the altar and the temple foundation, we see opposition rise up against the returned exiles. This opposition arises out of the area from where the northern kingdom of Israel had ruled, an area now called Samaria. The Samaritans wanted to be involved in the reconstruction of the temple, but the Jews rejected their help because the Samaritans were not worshippers of the true God, nor did they follow the law that God had given Israel. Surely, some of them claimed to be descendants of the tribes of the kingdom of the north, but there was no way to verify their claims. Their help was rejected, and so they decided to mount a resistance to the building campaign by writing letters and sending appeals to the Persian leadership. They appealed to the historical strength of the kingdom of Israel and said that the Jews would rebel against the Persians when their strength returned. They also harassed and scared the rebuilders to slow down the progress. All this opposition resulted in a pause to the building projects for several years. However, after God sent more prophets to rebuke the people for giving up on the building project and to encourage them to press on, the people finally start the project again and see it to completion. The temple is dedicated, and the priests from the tribe of Levi assume their duties in the temple. Remember, this tribe had these duties ever since the tabernacle in the wilderness with Moses. It's at this point that we meet the next wave of returners, led by a priest named Ezra. Ezra was an expert in the law that God had given the nation, and upon his arrival, he was shocked to see that the returning people had begun to marry non-Jews. This was not good. These people had already forgotten the law, and they had just returned. Didn't they know that they'd been in exile for disobeying the law? Ezra had some work to do. 
Soon, another wave of returners came, led by a man named Nehemiah. And this return is caused by a very important order from the king of Persia. This was in the year 444 BC, and Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, made an order to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. This order is what Daniel had prophesied about. This order would start the 483-year clock, counting down to the Messiah. Finally, the one foretold ever since the garden was coming. Finally. Now, Nehemiah traveled to the land with the king's permission and provision, and he was dedicated to the task of rebuilding the city. The temple was complete, but the city walls and gates needed rebuilding. The city was indefensible without an adequate wall, and so Nehemiah leads the effort. And the opposition was still present. But God was on the side of the Jews. Listen to Nehemiah's account of this. When our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand, and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And so we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who had followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. The opposition was so intense that the builders had two jobs, defense and building, a sword in one hand and a burden in the other. But after defeating these threats time and time again, the wall was finally finished. Nehemiah had done his job. The city was now protected, and the temple was complete. But Ezra's problem still remained. The people needed some renovation, too. They had forgotten the law. So Ezra gathers all the people, and he reads the law to them, pausing now and again to explain the meaning so that the people could understand. The people soon realized the ways in which they had transgressed God's law, and they understood their duties to uphold the law that God had given the nation. Further, they actually make a covenant among themselves to keep the law. They didn't want to be cast out of the land like the Israelites before them. No, this time they wanted to honor God in the land of Canaan. So the first great tasks of the return were complete. The temple was rebuilt with the leadership of Zerubbabel. The city walls and gates were restored thanks to Nehemiah. And the people had been rededicated to the law thanks to the priest Ezra. The people were back in the land, and this time they'd try to keep it. This may have been a small beginning, but they also had expectations for the future. They were looking forward to a king, a great king, a king in the line of David, one who would finally restore Israel and reunite the twelve tribes. But in the meantime, they'd be waiting and trying to stay faithful to God's law. They would be a territory of Persia with no independent government. No king, no army, and opposition all around. 
They might have just had a city and a new second temple, but more than that, they had hope. God wasn't done with Israel. He still had work to do through them. After all, it was through one of them, one of Abraham's seed, that God would bless all the nations of the world. Join us next time as we spin our globe a bit to a city east of Babylon called Susa. In Susa, trouble is brewing for the Jews. But God uses a beauty contest to set the stage for the salvation of his people. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Have you donated to the Bible Literacy Foundation? We'd love for you to partner with us so that we can expand our reach and grow. Your support means more people will have access to the life-changing story and message of the Bible. The easy way to donate is to click the link in the show notes to this episode. Alternatively, you can go to our website, BibleLiteracyFoundation.com, and click Donate. Thank you for making this show possible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022